Here we go. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. John McDin, your co-host, and Dan is out today, but will be with us on the next episode. I'm really excited to have uh, two longtime friends and who I have immense respect for, for the incredible work they do in the education space. One is Jeff and the other is Trisha. And before I continue, I'm just going to really turn over to them and let them introduce themselves and then we'll dig in and kind of looking at the professional development landscape, but more importantly, their own journeys as educators, both were in international schools, have transitioned to being consultants and have created some amazing professional development environments, learning to Adora and now shiftingschools.com. So it's just going to be really exciting to hear their journey. And then maybe what are some of the things ahead? You know, what should we be aware of? Uh, red flags or whatever, uh, things to be excited about as educators and school leaders. So, uh, Trisha, why don't you kick off, just kind of give a little bio background, and then we'll go over to Jeff. Sure. Hi. Uh, my name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. Uh, as John mentioned, I've, I've been an international school educator for nearly two decades. Uh, before my wife, who's Canadian, I'm American, uh, we decided let's plant some roots. Let's let's try being a little bit closer to family. So we're we're located now just off of Vancouver Island, um, and it's it's been an absolute joy and privilege to get to work closely with with Jeff, who I've known for a long time. Uh, but it's it's just it's really been a great ride, kind of joining his team and working with him currently as his creative content director. And pivoting from working with with a school to working with multiple schools at once, um, and I also have consultancy work that I do through AlliEd.org, where I work with schools who are interested in becoming more LGBTQ plus inclusive. So, um, thanks for having us on today, John. So good to have you, Jeff. Hi. Well, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Jeff Udick. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, I am getting better at this thanks to all the work with uh, with Trisha over the last couple of years. Uh, so it's been great. Um, yeah, I spent 10 years uh, internationally as well. I just uh, I beat Trisha back to the States by a couple of years. Uh, now make my home in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Shanghai in Shanghai, uh, China, and then four years in Bangkok before my wife and I decided to move back uh, to be a little bit closer to our parents, you know, as health uh, starts to uh, starts to affect our, our parents. A lot of times international educators will move home for a while. Uh, it was never it was never going to be what we were going to do. Like when we were international educators, we we're like, oh, we're doing this forever. We're never moving back. And then, of course, uh, here we are back in Seattle. Um, but uh, we're both originally from the state of Washington. And so it's been great to get back here and, and uh, plant some roots as well. And still love to do a lot of international travel. I was working with the International School of Luxembourg. Actually, we should talk about this, John, like the week that the pandemic started, I'm there in Luxembourg and yes. John and I are looking at each other going like, oh boy, here we go. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's right. And you flew out there. just by the skin of your teeth. You remember? Because right. they yeah, were one of the... closing down borders. Yeah. And Jeff yeah. with his Nespresso bag. Really <laughs> <laughs> just made it out in time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. crazy. Was yeah, crazy, crazy times. One of the things that has been interesting is doing this podcast and talking to a lot of people. There are more and more educators like yourselves that have been in the classroom have done some amazing work in their schools and really inspired teachers, and then have this calling to go beyond and say, you know what, I want to reach a larger audience. I want to do something at a larger scale 
or with a more kind of maybe in many different schools. And of course, Jeff, you were very much involved with learning too, and then Adore Learning, and of course the Cotel. And one of the things I'd love to hear from both of you, when you decided to do this, there's a bit of a risk. You're going into the unknown. And uh, unless you have a lot of Apple stock or Google stock, <laughs> I assumed you had to consider some of the financial risks and implications. And, I think what would be interesting to hear, you know, to kind of start this journey is what was some of the thinking and what were some of the risks you took and how did you maybe mitigate them or you just said, I'm going to do it. And just love to hear from both of you on that kind of when you jumped, so to speak, into that consultancy role. You don't all have to speak. Okay, Trisha, yeah, I, I, I will do that. Yeah, yeah. I think I was a little bit, I think maybe ahead of kind of Trisha making, making that jump. Um, for me, it really became, you know, when did, when did the doing consultancy work outpace um, working in a school? And for me, that's really what I was kind of going back and forth on. And, and there was a couple of different things. That, and I think number one is just being open to, open to opportunity which I find a lot of times is it's easy to say it's hard to do it, to just be able to allow opportunities in and figure out where, where it is you want to go. Um, you know, you talk about learning too. I mean, all of these, there's all these little pieces that add up um, to where we go. I mean, for me, it was, I started my blog, the thinking stick in 2005. I was just dinking around, you know, I was a, I was at Shanghai American school. Um, I was a tech teacher at the time when we still had pull out tech classes and uh, in between classes, I set up a WordPress blog and because I saw a couple other educators blogging. And I, I will honestly say, I think I got a little bit lucky. I was, you know, one of the one of the first international bloggers. John, you were right there with me. I think we were a couple of the first and only international teachers blogging. And so that gave us a different voice. It gave us it gave us a niche. Um, and so as blogging took off, my voice and uh, my voice became more and more um, amplified. And then uh, these little things kind of, you know, there was a, another tech director, um, John Zerflu, who is now the head of school at uh, International School of Warsaw. Um, he was uh, a tech director in Shanghai at the time, too. And was like, hey, what if the three big international schools got together and did a conference? And so he invited the other tech people in from the other schools. And that's how Learning2 started. That is still going strong today. Um, so that's why it's called, you know, a, a conference started uh, by teachers for teachers. Uh, a big part of that, it was just us. We all just got together and we literally funded it out of our pockets. Like we said, let's do this. What would it look like? And then we got Iricos on board and Dick Kreitzer through the years uh, really supported us. Um, and so that kind of took off, which gave then gave me a stage. Like I made my own stage to give learn two <laughs> talks and, you know, and people get to know you a little bit more. Um, and so th that happened. Um and, and next thing I know, I think uh, most of it from the blog, I started a podcast. The Shifting Our Schools podcast starts at the time with a friend, David Carpenter. It starts in 2007. Um, and he was in Hong Kong at the time. And you have to, I think part of the cool part is, you have to remember, is we're learning through the technology. Like in 2007, we're recording. We don't have anything like, like StreamYard or Zoom with high quality. I mean, I have my, we had like a, a, a a soundboard. I had a, a soundboard in my house and we're trying to have cords coming in and out of Skype because it's the only way you could do it. None of this stuff existed. And it's just mind blowing to think that when we, you, you kind of look back, you know, you had to go through and you grow 
you know, through, through the technology. I think for me, the big thing though was, is I'd started get, got, uh, getting asked to do a couple conferences. I did Iracos uh, for quite a few years. I got asked to come in and do NISA or I would, I would actually start, I started, you know, just even just submitting and doing conferences for free. And I think anybody that's looking to, to jump the consultancy work, um, you know, the big best thing you, you, the thing you need to do is get your name out there. And the best way to do that's at conferences. And you're not going to get paid. You're going to be paying your own flights and your own hotel rooms. And, you know, you're, you're, you're not getting the best slots. You're getting the last slot on the last day of the conference. And that's where you start. Um, and, you know, you start to fill rooms uh, because your message is good and, and people, people notice. And so that kind of is where I was by the end of Shanghai. And I think the big thing for me was, um, you know, I was starting to make that shift of like, okay, I kind of want to do this. I like working with other educators. I like motivating people to do things different. And it's at the same time. So this is 2008 and 2008 end of the school year. And the whole thing came out like web 2.0 is just kind of taking off, you know, really starting to find its footing. But this idea comes out around 20% time, you know, that Google gives their engineers 20% time to work on side projects. And I was like, you know what, what would be cool is if I could find a school that would allow me 20% time, understanding that everything that I'm working on in this tech world at the time, everything that we're thinking about, like you need somebody to go out there. I call them scouts now when I'm working with school. Like you need scouts that go out and are going to conferences and talking to people and are bringing that back to your school. I was like, and, and I was just like, wouldn't it be cool if I could find a school that would want to do that? And so I blogged it. I, my blog was very popular at the time. I had, you know, over 10,000. And so I put it on my blog. I'm looking for something different is the name of the blog post. And um, I just said, look, I'm looking for a different school that would be willing to do this. And the leaders at International School of Bangkok said, we'll do that with you. And so I had a one, I had a full-time contract with the option to take up to 20%, which is 40 days a year. I pay free. Um, to go and do other things. And so I, that's why I wrote my book during that time, which was huge. Um, I started doing more conferences at that time, which was huge. And out of that, by the time we get there, you know, Cotel came out of that, which was huge for us. Like, you know, and again, it was like schools coming to us and saying, hey, look, we would love to have this master's degree program. What do you think? And at the time, Kim Cofino and I are in Bangkok and we're like, we can do that. And we just make it. And so it's just like taking these opportunities and so by the time 2012 came around, it was two things. One, my wife saying, I need you home during weekends because at this point I'm gone all the time. Like this, like I'm at that point almost working two full-time jobs. And so you, at some point you have to make this decision of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this a go. Financially taking a huge risk, as you said, um, you know, and so uh, made the jump, crossed my fingers and uh, so far everything's worked out okay, so. Fantastic. And I think it's that that really uh, believing in your idea and your self and being able to do the jump and knowing that, you know, you, you just have to be confident in it. And obviously you had that track record where you were building an audience and where you're working two jobs and you realize, OK, now I can give up one. Yeah, Especially, right. Yeah. 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 That was my Trisha, Trisha, tell us a bit about your story. Sure. And I, I kind of just, I, I, one thing that Jeff didn't mention that I feel like um, maybe he's not giving himself enough credit for is it's the relationships piece. I mean, something that 
I've observed and I consider myself like consultant light and Jeff consultant pro. Um, you know, when you watch Jeff work and you you watch Jeff build connections with schools, it, it's got this great foundation of relationships. I mean, anytime we had a session and somebody wanted some help afterwards, you know, Jeff always is right there, enthusiastic to, you know, continue to work with people 20, 30 minutes after the session was supposed to be over. And I just think, you know, that piece of authentically caring about teachers is huge. And not every consultant really has that where they get it, that being a classroom teacher is an extremely difficult job. And to respect that and to have teachers feel that, um, I, I think just makes a massive, massive difference and maybe is the most important thing. And Jeff, I've just really appreciated seeing you model that, that if that's not there, you know, everything else is, is kind of just superficial. Um, but I would also say learning too is a really great little playground for me to get started with um, for folks who haven't connected with them yet. One of the things that, you know, John and Jeff, maybe you feel this as well, you know, it really is a community when you are running a workshop or you're giving a talk, you're not just drafting something in isolation and then delivering it. You're workshopping it with fellow educators who are there to really give you feedback um, and really to push and stretch you. And that's something that, you know, I've always really appreciated about learning too. It's so unique as a conference. Most other conferences I've been a part of, it's like, that's your room or this is the time that you'll be on stage yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Whereas learning too is, you know, you are partnered with people who genuinely want to nurture um, and and support you, which which is really fantastic. Uh, and that ed tech piece that you know Jeff brought up, I think today, you know, when we're talking about the importance of digital literacy for teachers, we're talking about if you would like to pivot and do something different, you know, these things are not only great for your learners, they're great for your learning. Um, and I, I kind of I, I do think that piece about understanding how to get a message out. That is so, uh, you know, sometimes I, I just, I kind of, as a former lit teacher, you know, we, we hammer the idea that you have to be able to write an essay. It's 2021. You know, if you want to be an advocate, how do you actually get your message out there? Um, and the, the tools, you know, blogging, podcasting, social media, you have to be able to cut through the noise. You have to be able to understand your audience, that empathy piece um, I, I think is really huge. And one thing that I, I think Shifting Schools does really well is we really have conversations about what is it that teachers need right now? What can we do to support them? And, and Jeff and I talk all the time about sometimes you literally just need a resource that is ready to roll out in the next hour. So how can we create some templates and some resources where I'm going to be able to use this not you know, a month from now or a year from now, I could use it today. Um, and again, I, I think it's if, if you're going into consultancy work for education, understand that teachers have been, you know, historically always overworked. You know, they're making so many decisions. Teachers have so many different layers of, you know, quote unquote bosses. So what can you do to, you know, make it a little bit easier for them to do the super important, super complex work that they do? And I think that's what I really like about the resources that are in the show notes is, is, is these PDFs. It's very much with empathy, understanding it's Monday or it's the beginning of the year. I'm exhausted. I just finally saw my family. 
thank you. There's the PDF, you know, and I think that is really powerful. And I love the way you brought up this empathy piece because I always appreciate with Jeff is that when he's in a school, he'll go and have lunch with the middle school kids. He's like, I don't want to talk to faculty, you know, but of course he will talk to faculty. But that idea that having those conversations and there's never, doesn't matter who comes up, let me talk to you. And I think, you know, uh, both of you in your work, the, the empathy piece is so front and center and you feel it even when you start your podcast and just the work. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's what people want to know. There's the empathy and then let's talk about other things and, and making that front of center, I think really is an important point. Now, both of you with, you know, you do these resources, you're working with schools, uh, Trisha, you're doing a lot of work with uh, LGBT. Talk a bit about how how are you navigating? Because there are a lot of other people in that education space. You know, are you have you decided there's this niche? Is there a certain way of doing it that's unique to you? Uh, how do you grapple with that? Because of course you want to. You know, you're this is your income. You need to get an audience. And how, how are you finding what your purpose is? And have you found that you had to be kind of flexible and adaptable or you really have this very clear vision? Um, you know, I think for that piece, the time that I spent at United World College of Southeast Asia was incredibly valuable because there were so many educators who were really vulnerable in saying, I want to do more, I don't know how. And I, I think that reminded me of how and this is related to ed tech or, or any kind of, um, you know, shift in pedagogy. Teachers often want to do the quote unquote right thing, but they also don't want to get it wrong or, um, you know, feel like maybe they are setting themselves or their students up for something that's not going to be successful. And I think when you're talking about LGBTQ plus inclusion, there's an additional level of sensitivity where I think folks are really concerned with saying the wrong thing. And so, you know, I often try to support teachers in saying, like, you know, it's allyship is a journey, right? We're all learning. Language is always shifting. And it's the same with educational technology, right? When I think back to 10 years of how we would refer to different tools or practices, that language has shifted. So I think, A, just understanding that, again, maybe it's the empathy piece, that learning is a journey. Uh, again, teachers are doing so much. So how can we remind them that, you know, this is a it's a process and it's about making steady progress and that it's also about reckoning with that tension between, you know, there's the student layer, there's the parent caretaker layer, there's the administration and board layer, there's the school context and culture. There's a lot around that to navigate. And um, so I think it's looking at what's your day-to-day -day kind of practice? Like, you know, right now, Jeff and I have our pronouns up on the screen. Like, what are the little signposts that you can leave for inclusion? And then what are the ways that you can actually rethink your curriculum? So I guess the, the short answer um, is really thinking about what's daily practice and what's the vision piece and how do you balance doing both of those things understanding that, again, teachers are doing 10 times more than maybe um, they should have to be doing, and there's still a global pandemic on. So I, I think understanding the nature of the job 
and how change happens, that it's not about a school goes from point A to point Z in a week, but how can you set folks up so that they're ready to sustain um, that effort and have lots of different things they can experiment with. And, and, that, and again, I think that's similar to ed tech. You know, I, I, I don't know, you know, you both have probably seen this too, where a school says, I want, you know, we want to implement more digital literacy and it's not everybody's proficient by Friday. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that I like is about, you know, the day-to-day, -day, the, the, the granularity of the day-to-day -day needs and then having that vision piece. And Jeff, that's something that I think you always do. You, you know, when you present, you have that kind of very helicopter view, that provocation. But in balance, you're also saying, well, you're in the classroom and the reality is with these third graders, this is how it's going to be. Talk a bit about that tension that you think, you know, that you address with teachers. Yeah, and I think, you know, building off of, off of what Trisha said, I mean, Trisha's really helped me specifically around the LGBTQ plus, you know, as because as, inclusion's in everything we do. I mean, it doesn't matter what your consultancy on, like inclusion's a part of it now. And I keep coming back to this idea that doing something is better than doing nothing. And to Trisha's point, like, you know, when it comes to inclusion and we're talking about, you know, inclusion specifically around LGBTQ uh, or equity issues in their classroom, it can get really freaked out that you're going to do the wrong thing. And to the point that it's a journey and doing something is better than doing nothing. And I, and no matter what it is you're working on, I think as teachers, we get caught a lot, like Trisha was saying in this mindset of like, I want to make sure it's perfect. We have a, I find that there's a, a, a mindset in teachers of I've got, I want to do it and I want to do it perfectly. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't yeah. happen, especially when you have 28 kids running around your classroom. Like there's no such thing as, as perfect. One of the things I like to remind teachers is they call this the teaching practice. Every day is just practicing. There's no such thing as mastery in this job. The day you think you've mastered teaching is the day you need to retire because there's no mastery. We're all just practicing constantly. And we have to be willing to take risks, you know, of putting your pronouns on the screen for the first time or writing them on the whiteboard for the first time. And it's risky, you know, but, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's doing something like, what am I doing? I, I, I just, I need to, I need to start somewhere. And so you do something. Um, and I think that's so important. What you both are saying is people are very cautious and how can we support them to understand that caution is good. That's good but also feel comfortable the idea of practice, you know, maybe messing up. And I think the LGBT with the diversity, equity and inclusion and the Black Lives Matter, Me Too, I think for a lot of people that landscape became uncomfortable because there was so much and they weren't sure how to position themselves because they were self-reflective and I want to do it right. I wanted and and is there a right? We don't know and we're all learning about this. So I really like the way you're saying is, just go ahead and do it and, and believe in yourself. And it's practice. If you mess up, be honest. I'm sorry. I said the wrong thing because yeah. I'm still learning. And help me say it the right way. I think that's you know some of the things that uh, I think are so important that you're highlighting. In, in both of your work, uh, I like that you're saying now it's just part of it. It's just weaved everywhere. It's not like uh, siloed. Okay, now it's inclusion time or now it's LGBT time. How are people reacting to that? Because you were saying that you're doing work and uh, with this and you weave this almost as if it's not something that you highlight. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's what we try to do. And, um, you know, I think we try to just 
um, I just try to be respectful, you know, as Trisha said, of just where everybody is, you know, the idea of, you know, especially coming from, you know, from my tech lens is right now, you know, social emotional learning is, is, is a big part of that. And so it's how does technology support you in social emotional learning or how can you try something new in a tech world that also is supporting your students socially and emotionally, you know, or is also in, I mean, here's something you can do with technology and it also is inclusive. And so it's trying to help it help teachers understand and, and just trying to wrap our minds around that. It's not to your point. There's not silos of this is technology time. This is now inclusion time. This is equity time, but that there are ways to build units, lessons, um, whatever you want to call them, right? Standards-based approaches. There's ways to there's ways to create these things where it's it's truly integrated, and you're looking at tools and methods that are that kids shouldn't even know they're learning social emotional learning, right? I mean, it it should just be weaved into this idea of here here's here's a place for us to stop, to reflect, to think on how we're doing, and that's just good teaching. You know, here's a spot. One of our one of our favorite um, free PDFs is this one called um, calibration, uh, calibration. Re- no, what is it? Collaboration recalibration. recalibration. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. Too. Recalibration. <laughs> yeah. Calibration recalibration. Collaboration recalibration. It's a great it's one of our one of my favorite PDFs to share with teachers because it, it's just it's these it's these quick little stories that you can do with your students. of. So you find yourself in a group where you don't like the other kids. What do you do? And we just take a pause before we do group work. We take a pause to just help support kids. Like you end up in a group you don't like, which happens to us all the time. Doesn't matter how old you are. It's just like, and so having these, just like, just pausing before you jump into the group work to have just a quick conversation of how do you navigate this? What does this look like? You know, giving kids those tools that if you do find yourself in that situation, you can lean back on that knowledge and say like, oh, here's here's a strategy I have to, to support myself or to support my team. Um, and that pause is also valid for adults because so often adults come into groups and they come with their perceptions and their agendas or their assumptions. And I think that pausing gives them an opportunity maybe to metacognition and say, oh, I'm coming in with a presumption. So I, I think that's really important. Trisha, w- when you work with teachers, on this, what have been some of the learnings you've seen as th- this is, you know, coming part of the landscape? What are some things that maybe you're like, oh, didn't realize that was going on? You know, I, I think it, it's interesting, Jeff, that you bring up that guide because at the core of that guide is our need to rehearse, right? Is us to think about there's a scenario. What if before that thing happened, before I'm put into a group with someone I don't like, what if I'm given the opportunity to actually rehearse that conversation of how I might advocate for myself, of how I might approach that person? And I think that's the thing that I keep coming back to is teachers need that rehearsal time. Um, You know, and I, Bell Hooks writes about the reality that, you know, half your curriculum walks into the room when the students do you know we we have the so-called curriculum that we have to teach but we are you know not teaching it into a vacuum Um, and i think what jeff was talking about is really the shift of the power dynamic that we experienced as students where 
you know, I was there to hopefully just absorb whatever a teacher was saying. And now, no, you know, a school is a community where we learn from one another and reckoning with the reality that in order to do that, we might want to get to know each other, understand one another, um, and making more space for that. And, uh, you know, realizing that engagement is about student choice and student voice. And uh, I can still see that's that's a real tension for, for people because our experience as students was the teacher didn't care about my you know, me having a choice or a voice. It really was like, hey, open the book to this chapter, do that, uh, don't bother me. And it, it's it's been a massive, massive shift. And I think, you know, it's both a wonderful and a really complicated time to be a teacher because you have more tools at your disposal than you need. Um, and you are also, you know, expected to, I think, reckon with, you know, the, the damage that that school has done, you know. The other big thing is realizing when we look at our curriculums now, wow, they're, you know, curriculums were pretty racist, were pretty sexist, were pretty homophobic, you know. Just even the idea of what did school tell you in terms of who a genius is? Yeah. You know, when I went to school, it, you know, that that person, that genius kind of looked like one type of person. And yeah. I, I, again, I think we realize we we want students we want school to be a thing that heals society and i think you know education is really dealing with that truth that you know there's been some damage done and we need to undo it and i i think that's where the power of rehearsal comes in because if you're trying to do something drastically different from what you experienced as a learner we really do need to practice it. And I find when we have that time to work with one another, even just practicing conversations, that's really powerful. And again, I, I think schools that build those learning communities where teachers feel like I can practice with my colleagues, those are the ones that, you know, they, they do really well. If your school is a system where teachers feel really afraid of failure or really afraid of trying something new, there's not going to be a lot of growth. And I, I keep drawing this parallel between ed tech um, and inclusion. But, you know, again, schools where it was sort of a, oh, there's this great tool or, you know, there's this new literacy that we would like to embed. Schools where teachers are like, let me play around with this. Let me try it out. Let me show you. Can you show me what you were doing? And it's the same with inclusion, right? How would you disrupt homophobic bullying? Can we talk about that? Can we practice that versus you know, let's all be silent around how we do the work that we do and never share it because yeah. what if I'm doing it wrong? I don't want anybody to know. Um, you know, and that's school leaders that make sure they model, hey, I'm learning too. I'm trying this, you know, and, and who are willing to sort of say, oh, I made this mistake or I don't know how to do this. Can someone help me? That's huge. And the time piece is so important because you're saying we need to rehearse, we need to find, and we know what time is like in schools. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, and also for leaders to give themselves time because so often leaders say, we want you to do this, but I don't have time to do it or I don't have time to try it to make sure I'm also practicing. So I, I think that's so powerful. And I think that's the creative tension is how as school leaders and educators, we make that a priority, that rehearsal time that you talk about, you know, because, you know, it feels like we're taking time from something else, but I think in the long run, 
taking it away and focusing on that, you do there there's a, there's a return, such a high return on what you get back. And I think some we're still struggling with that. And yeah, in your like one of our resources over at Shifting Schools, um, and you'll get a link in the show notes to all of our free PDFs. I think there's we're right close to 50, if I remember, Trisha. Like, mm, that's just, right. Trisha's been pounding them out. But, um, one of them, called, you know, one of the things that is overarching to all of this is we have this we have this download called uh, Empowering PLCs, where it's a structure that a PLC can take. Just having these mic rehearsals, or how do I start a, opening up a conversation? Because you know, there are so many ways that we can do this now. I mean, podcasts. Are, are we listening to podcasts and our, and our PLCs? You need to stop and take a and we're all going to listen to this 30-second this clip or this four-minute clip of a podcast. And then go through a process of just like, what did you hear? What does that make us think of? Uh, what do we think about the idea as a team inside of our PLCs? So I think part of it is, you know, time has always, has always been an issue. I think a big part of it is we need to start we restructure our time and plcs to me is one of those places where you get to sit here with your colleagues whatever group that's to you and can we restructure that in a place that allows us to the last one you know in between the amount of blog posts in education the amount of podcasts in education that are there today just take one time let's talk about it let's reflect on it let's see where it is and we slowly grow um in, into starting to bring these practices in. And I, I think Jeff, you know, what Jeff is talking about there again is the shift in power dynamics that in terms of how a school does PD, that can be more of a collective conversation as well. You know, it doesn't always necessarily need to be somebody from the leadership, you know, kind of saying, this is the goal, this is the objective, and here's how we're going to get to it. Rather, you know, okay, how can actually some of our tech tools free up time? And how can we also, you know, just be honest and realize that sometimes that sit and get PD is not engaging, is, you know, feels like a, a, an energy and time drain on teachers. So what can we do that's creative, that's a little bit different? And um, the, the podcast PD model that, you know, again, folks can get to it from shiftingschools.com. That's about what Jeff was saying, like podcasts are a great tool. And also guess what? Sometimes teachers, just like students, they need that processing time. So what if we took a podcast, take it on a run, take it on a walk, listen to it while you're doing your grocery shopping, right? Like teachers also have lives outside of school. And here's some protocols. Here's some tools for reflection, for scaffolding a discussion. Think about it. That power of, you know, delaying our time between consuming something and really truly processing it, letting it, the ideas percolate, then let's come together. And I think, I think that piece, it's about trust too, right? Like if you're a school where there's high trust, you don't need to watch teachers consume something. You realize, hey, I trust them. Yeah. Uh, we're in this together. So we can do this differently. You know, we, we don't all necessarily need to be in one space looking at the same thing at the same time. And I, I think actually when we talk about blended learning and we talk about that shift in power dynamics in the classroom, I think actually schools that mirror that in their professional development, teachers understand, oh, I'm being trusted, I'm being valued. And, you know, 
I'm being treated like a professional learner. Like that's what we want in schools where people feel like they are being treated with that care and respect that ultimately I think that sets us up for better learning. You know, if, if I'm being treated like, you know, someone who cannot be trusted to, to do the work or I'm being treated like someone who might not be interested in it, I'm disengaging, you know, like that, that that's immediately going to make me not want to engage. And, and, and again, I think we've mentioned empathy multiple times and it gets to that yet again. Jeff? Yeah, Trisha, and Trisha, you have to remind me, but I, we had a school leader on our podcast and I just love this. They said, you know, coming out of the pandemic, one of the changes they're seeing is this change from professional development to professional learning. And I can't remember who said it. It was an international school leader. It's uh, Kathleen Nagley, Kathleen yeah. Nagley, uh, who's okay. head of Kathleen school of ISH. ISH, right. And, and I just love that. And I think she's right. You know, what we're seeing coming out of this pandemic is, is a switch from this idea of professional development where development is kind of done to you through your district or school to now live in 2021 it's professional learning you can go and learn this stuff you know I, it, one of the things that i still just cringes me is when i'll have uh, a, a teacher in one of the sessions come up and say oh you know i would love to be more inclusive in my classroom but my school district or my school hasn't given me training on that yet well, you live in 2021. If you want to be a more inclusive teacher, there's all kinds of resources out there. Yeah. It's not about professional development. It's about professional learning. Can you go out and find this stuff? And I think as we're, you know, one of the things we wanted to cover in this episode was this idea of like the future of professional development or professional learning. And I think, I really do think podcasts like this podcast, um, like our podcast, I think that that is the future. I think this idea that you personalize it, like I only want to, you know, right now I'm focused on inclusion. I'm going to go find the Ally Ed podcast from Trisha and, and just like, I'm going to binge this thing. Like we do shows on Netflix, you know, I'm just, I want to know everything or I, I'm really interested in leadership or I'm really interested and you can go find this stuff and you yourself. And what it allows us to do is this amazing thing we've been missing in professional development for a long time is the personalization you know, it's really hard to personalize a workshop when you have a hundred people in there. Yeah. But when you when you when you when you realize you have all these resources, how do we take control of it? You know what? I'm I'm leading a PLC school. The PLC is really we really want to dig into what? Go go find a blog, go go find a podcast and bring that into your PLC and, and drive that. Like it's it's free, it's sitting there waiting for us. You don't wait for your school to, you know, tell you like, oh, this year we're going to talk about equity or this year it's going to be about inclusion or this year it's about tech integration and blended learning. You don't have to wait anymore. It's 2021. And I think, too, with that, you know, the, the other piece that we incorporate in our trainings and our different offerings is educators get um, kind of a, a ready-made uh, journal. It's a digital portfolio. And it can be customized, like we've given them some templates and some things, but we always reiterate, you know, you are the expert in your context. So stuff that's not relevant to you, delete, ignore, um, change it up, but we want to give you some examples. And I think that piece about setting educators up to share their story of learning is huge because I, I think it's also about recognizing educator voice. Um, you know, you can have all the initiatives in the world as a school, but unless you are 
giving teachers that time to come together to share, uh, you know, to have dialogues around different experiences, you're not going to have any change. So, you know, I, I think that's the other, to me, that's the other critical piece is understanding that educators are leading with the leadership team um, and that, you know, there, there are certain things you can put in place that's going to make that a little bit easier. And I think using technology so that educators can document so they can, again, you know, have a space where ideas can, here's what I'm thinking right now. I might not be thinking the same thing a week from now, but I have an actual tool for reflection that is really like a, a trampoline into future conversations, because I think, you know, that's the other thing that, you know, I, I think consultants who have been in PD where they have felt, I know this can be better. You know, that's a conversation that many of us have had as well. It's that do people in the room feel like they're being respected and that they are going to drive conversation or they're just there as an audience to the initiative? And I think at Shifting Schools, we get that. You are not, you know, the audience to an idea. You are the change maker, actually. Like, you are, uh, you know, a person that has the capacity to make the shift yourself. So here are the tools that are going to help with that, not just, you know, passively absorb. Because, you know, again, that's not respecting who educators are. I think most educators are highly creative people. I think that's why many people are attracted to the field in the first place. So what can we do to make more space for that creativity? And I think it's this idea of curation, where as a consultant, you curate these provocations, these moments, these opportunities, and you as a participant intrinsically decide, oh, I'm going to go for that or go for that. And I love the term that you say about the professional learning community. And I'm wondering in your work and what we're seeing here in the world, especially through the pandemic, where many teachers were maybe more online than they anticipated, and maybe through that experience start reaching out more. And I definitely felt that like there were a lot of social media groups that were far more active. People were like, help, I'm, you know, I got I'm hybrid. I'm do you think that's the that this all traditional model, the sage on the stage? With, you know, there are a lot of amazing consultants, but usually it's like a PDF or a PowerPoint, and we sit there, and then there's a QA. and a And this is no disrespect to all the wonderful right. people out there, <laughs> uh, many who are my friends. But I think what you're saying is like, hold on, that's we need to empower and show that empathy. And do you are you seeing that in schools starting to do that? I think we're starting to see it. Um, I, I think that, you know, um, I think it's one thing we learned out of the pandemic. It was a real shock to our system of, um, oh, there's other ways we can do this. You know, um, and we were talking about this before we started recording. And I think all three of us uh, have seen this where I'm just not traveling as much. You know, when when it costs the school a flight in hotels and a rental car versus a Zoom <laughs> and, and everybody in Zoom. You know, and for better or for worse, everybody knows Zoom. And the crazy thing is, we could have done that before, but there was no reason to, and it wasn't the way things were done, right? And we get stuck in this all the time, but it wasn't the way things were done. And even in the business world, you know, they're they're having more Zoom meetings now. And so I think it is a balance. I think it's a balance of all, you know. And I think there's there's we still want to be face to face, absolutely one hundred percent. There's something about going to a conference, and you know, we we've talked about this from the very beginning. And this was one of the founding parts of learning too, is that the real learning at a conference, it happens in the hallway between sessions. Yeah. And so how do you make 
your conference as social as possible. And that's always been a tenant of, of learning too since, since it started back in 2007. And I think we're, we're, we're finding that as well. It's like, there's a time when, you know, a, a good talk, we all like to be inspired for, by a good talk. That's why, you know, TED Talks are one of the top YouTube channels. Like, we love it. It's somebody who can give us a good motivational talk or, or lay down an idea, whether you agree with it or not, you know, get you, get you fired up. And so there's still a place for that. But there's also going to be a place for uh, Zoom meetings where I don't have to travel across the city if you're in a larger district or you're on two, like I'm thinking of Shanghai American School that's on two campuses. And when I lived there, it was a three-hour bus ride between the two, right? Like we, we don't have to do that anymore. Like we could have been meeting as teams in a different way because it's there. And I think we're starting to expand that into this idea of, you know, there are, there's social groups just around my grade level. You know, the, the Twitter hashtags I've seen uh, really start to, uh, you know, start to really start rolling here. Um, and the same thing with podcasts, you know, that there are communities around our podcast. And I think that's part of what we try to do at Shifting Schools. You know, Trisha and I work together. She lays down the script because she's an English teacher and I'm dyslexic. So it works really well. And then, um, you know, I go in and I and we fiddle with it. and We kind of figure out what it is. But our idea is, is like we're going to lay something down. Like, here, here's an idea. Here's here's something. Here's a free PDF that goes with it. And feel free to rip it apart or feel free to take a part of it, you know. We're just we're going to give you an idea. What you do with that is up to you. And it's just trying to this, you know, there's different ways we can be empowered and we can be um, a different way we can engage with people that you don't even see, which I think is really cool. You know, one of our favorite two of our favorite things that I love about shifting schools is almost every single one of the free PDFs over there. I'm up to almost 50 now. Almost every single one of them has come from an email from somebody saying, hey, I could really use a resource on blank and we'll, we'll make it for you. Like that's, that's like, that's what Trish and I love to do. We love to support educators. So you need something, email us. And we're just like, yes. And then we take those free PDFs and we take them into the podcast and we're like, all right, let's break this down. Here's how I would do this. Or here's what we're thinking about this, you know? And so you get this little bit of background about how you might want to use that, that PDF as well. So just trying, you know, again, starting with empathy and trying to figure out how, how can we, what can we do best to support everyone in, in this time? So. Trisha? And, and I, well, I think, you know, that idea, are we seeing this in schools? We we have heard back from a few folks who have said, okay, this idea of the podcast as a tool for meetings. Um, yeah, we've tried that out. And I think it's the, I know I mentioned this already, but the schools that get comfortable and can be vulnerable enough to experiment and try things out. Because I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's there are going to be disruptions to the way that we learn and work. Uh, you know, there's going to be another something 10 years from now. It might be something, you know, tech-based. It might be, uh, you know, I hope not, but it might not. It might be another global pandemic. But I think the idea that our work, the way that we have done it, is constant, it isn't. And I, I just think that's a reality that we need to anticipate and, and accept. So what does it mean for us to tinker and trial different ways of learning? Um, when I was at United World College, something I really appreciated was we didn't do traditional teacher evaluations. Everyone was set up with a mentor and it was about mentorship. It was about conversation. And, you know, I, I've, I've had that conversation with other folks about you don't have to do the traditional, you know, someone coming in and doing an observation, which is often not really authentic and not necessarily a great use of anybody's time. 
you can do that differently. And what is at the heart of the goal that you want to do with teacher evaluations? You can do that through mentorship. If you want teachers to be supported and to grow, you know, I, I kind of think that idea of helping teachers build up their support networks, that's a much better way of doing that than, hey, someone's going to come and observe you three yeah. times a year. Um, but I know for a lot of people, it's, you know, the obstacle of, oh, but that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the thing that, you know, we have to get people to stop saying that's the way we always have done it, because your point is so true. While this pandemic is going on, uh, Tracy, my wife, was in California. It was 54 degrees in the Mojave Desert. You know, yeah. there were forest fires everywhere. I went biking along the Mosul. Half the hotels were closed because they had been flooded. So if you think normal is going to continue, I think we need to be very uh, just candid with each other. And that idea of being adaptable and flexible and nimble, I think, is so important. And Tricia, thank you for bringing that up because I think we the, whatever you want to call normal, that day's gone. Uh, however difficult it is to digest, and I know there's a grieving process, etc. But I think your point is so true. I'm just wondering, you know, here we are coming to the end of the podcast. What you know, if you look at teachers and think of teachers down the road, you know, you're giving so many encouraging words. You're really uh, the, the positivity and this idea of empathy and the deliberation for time and this idea of professional learning community. Any thoughts for school leaders and teachers, you know, as they move forward, just something that you feel that has really helped you in your own journey that you think maybe they can consider and deliberate? Um, I think a couple of things from a school leader standpoint that we talking out of this pandemic that I think is really interesting to take forward. We really hit hard, um, you know, when we were virtual, which again, a lot of the, the support we were doing through that was here in the States where in, in, my state, in Washington, we were shut down, um, for quite a while. Like we're still, still got places that are, that are pretty shut down. One of the things we saw from a leader was the idea of the power of video and the power of seeing your face inside of a message. And so even as simple as in you know, use any one of the free tools that allows you to create a video and just send a link to a video in an email. And we had principals and school leaders that started doing that. And the feedback from teachers was like, oh, it was great to see your face. You can be funny because it's in an email to your staff. You know, you can be funny. You're lighthearted. You're drinking your cup of coffee. They see you're as tired as they are. And it's not an email with a list of things to do. And I mean, that is such a little, little switch. Like we all know how to make videos now, whether it's Screencastify or Loom or pick your, you know, your iPhone, it doesn't matter. But there's this little switch of like, I think we, before the pandemic, we took for granted seeing people. You know, and I think there, there's little things like that that I hope that school leaders continue to do on a school leader end. It's just like instead of writing that email on Friday, make a video that's highlighting this week's accomplishments, you know, where people, they can go back and they can listen to it, watch it again. And it doesn't need to be long, but it's just it's different. And it, again, it gives you that person's face, which is so much different and so much you know, um, context gets lost in email sometimes. You know, you, you can't have that expression of excitement. You just read excited with three exclamation points. Isn't the same of seeing somebody get really excited on screen. 
Absolutely. I love that idea. Yeah, I think that from a school leader standpoint, I think that that's just one of those little tips that we've seen school leaders do that. And and I'm seeing school leaders continue to do that. Um, Yes, it's funny. There are quite a few directors that have moved and they've done the video instead of the long letter. Yeah. Uh, and especially yeah. during the pandemic, you know, some leaders were like every Monday, Hey, I'm with my coffee. Uh, I I'm unshaven or the goatee was yeah, really right. Big exactly. Or, uh, <laughs> the gray hair suddenly showed up everywhere. You know, there were just a yeah. lot of lovely little honest moments. I think, yeah. I think what you're, you know, really that amplifies with your suggestion, Trisha, maybe just kind of on the educator, a teacher thing that you think would, you know, that you've seen that really, that little shift that maybe people can explore and consider? Um, I, you know, there was a, there's a great book that came out called Street Data by Shane Safir and Jamila Duggan. And, and they talk about, you know, schools have, uh, many schools now talk about the idea of we're data driven. And this book gets into the idea that lived experiences are also data, you know, and how important it is that we make and take time to listen to each other's stories. And I think, school leaders can help facilitate teachers having that time and space. But I, I think that idea of, of teachers really being able to have time to share their experiences with one another is so incredibly valuable. Um, and maybe that is done in part through video. Maybe that's done in part through, you know, shared collaborative spaces. And maybe it's also done in person with mentorship. Um, you know, last year, Jeff and I had a webinar that was all about, you know, sharing our, our story of the past year. We have a webinar coming up um, in a few days that's also about finding your metaphor for the moment. And I think, you know, storytelling is like a, a, a technology tool as well that builds community. So making that that time and space for it and also realizing you know, when I say good leadership is good storytelling, that can be really scary for people because maybe we don't all see ourselves as storytellers. Yeah. Um, but we have um, we have two different free PDFs on shifting schools, the finding your metaphor for the moment and um, telling the the story of your learning journey. Um, and, and they kind of take you through that process. So I think just making a little bit of time to dig back into that toolkit of resources that helps us communicate our stories is is really valuable teacher to teacher and also teacher to student. Um, I, I think when things are scary, which they are right now, they are scary for, for parents and caretakers, for learners of all ages. So taking that time to really tighten up our communication can be, I think, incredibly um supportive and and is just really necessary i love the story yeah go ahead thing i'll say john before you do is like on on what trisha was saying i think one of the the small shifts you can make is when we meet as a team so trisha and chrissy hellier the third person in our in our small team right now we meet every week but we don't call it a meeting we call it a huddle and the first literally half hour of the huddle we don't accomplish i mean accomplish in you know air quotes anything we listen to each other and it, it starts with like uh you know trisha's in canada and i'm here in the states and so it, it you know it's it's listening to each other we're, we're we're all involved in each other's lives like i mean trisha and i have not physically been in the same place since 2016 
And I can't wait to someday give this woman an amazing hug. We have gone through, we've both gone through losses this last, you know, this last year we've, and and we're in it. And so we don't call them meetings. We call them huddles. And part, and, and, you know, a good 30 minutes of it is us just catching up. And it's only been a week. It's like we see each other every week, but then the other 30 minutes is really good time. You know, I mean, we're, we're, when we get into the work, it's in the work. And nobody's tied to their idea. We throw stuff out. We're trying to figure out what's the next thing. How do we support educators the best we can? But even a little switch, like not calling it a meeting, calling it a huddle, just gives us a different like priority priority on what it is we want to do. So just another quick little thing. Love the huddle and the, the story. Both of you, thank you so much. I know it's really early for you, and I so appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> I'm about to go and have my sundowners, but you're about to have your breakfast. So I so appreciate And really, to the audience, shiftingschools.com, there is some unbelievable, amazing stuff there. Do spend some time. And, of course, the podcast, uh, definitely a must-subscribe to. And so thank you. And we'll definitely connect again maybe at the end of the year and see how your journey and your story and how many more huddles you've had together, and hopefully a hug somewhere, a real hug. But thank you both. Uh, It's been a real privilege and honor to have you both today. Thank you. Thanks Thanks so much, John. As always.